This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. With absolutely zero evidence, John Brennan and James Clapper have penned a letter insinuating that Hunter Biden's emails are a Russian disinformation campaign. But in that letter, they do not deny that these are, in fact, Hunter's emails. Rudy Giuliani turned over Hunter's hard drives to the Delaware State Police, saying they contain evidence of child sexual abuse. And we'll cover Peter Navarro's powerful, useful idiot speech to the Hudson Institute. With these stories and more from an American nationalist perspective, I'm Jim Dawes, and this is Right Now. And thank you for tuning in to Right Now. This conversation never ends. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Right Now Jim Dawes. Shoot me an email at rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com, or you can call or text the vent line and leave your rants at 772-245-0750. Well, in the second half of today's show, we're going to uh, cover in its entirety Peter Navarro's powerful speech. It's uh, his useful idiot speech given to the Hudson Institute. It's probably uh, the most consequential public speech that has been given in my memory at least, and you're going to want to hear all of it. I've taken it and uh, and sort of truncated it so that you can listen to it in its entirety, but uh, but do it in a, a abbreviated session. Well, James Clapper and John Brennan, those paragons of the swamp, have penned a letter yesterday. It was also co-signed by 50 other former uh, intelligence spooks and uh in this letter it's really quite something they claim that uh russian intelligence is responsible for these uh hunter biden emails that are being covered by the new york post and now being reluctantly joined by other news outlets the letter states uh we want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails are genuine or not and we do not have evidence of Russian involvement. Well, that's where they needed to shut up and stop. But they continue just that our expertise makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. If we are right, this is a Russia. This is Russia trying to influence how Americans vote in this election. And we believe strongly that Americans need to be aware of this. So what this is, is... James Clapper and John Brennan trying to interject the American intelligence community, our CIA, our NSA, all of the agencies that are supposed to only conduct their operations on non-citizens overseas. They are not, absolutely not, supposed to become involved in America's internal politics. But they're using their... They're, they're thoroughly discredited bona fides to, uh, to interfere in this election. But they don't want to go so far as totally destroying their own credibility. So they start out by telling you 
that they don't know, they don't have any knowledge whatsoever that these are part of a Russian disinformation campaign, but then they go on to say that they believe it's just that. And, of course, this is because they're, uh, they're trying to continue the, uh, the CYA operation to uh, protect them from uh, the ultimate accountability for interfering in the 2016 presidential election. They wanted us to believe that all of this uh, the spying on the Trump campaign back in 2016 was either justified or now they're sort of implying that it's an honest mistake. And yet, now they are engaging in that very same activity in the 2020 election. So let's take a walk down memory lane and uh, just refamiliarize ourselves with the many destructive lives that John, lies that John Brennan and James Clapper have told in the last four years. Is there anything in the dossier that has been disproven? No, uh, some of it hasn't been proven, uh, and some of it hasn't been, no, I guess uh, the, answer, the short answer to the question. Did evidence exist of collusion, coordination, conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russian state actors at the time you learned of 2016 efforts? I encountered and am aware of information and intelligence that um, revealed contacts and interactions between Russian officials and U.S. persons involved in the uh, Trump campaign. I did not know what was in there. Uh, I did not see it until later in that year. I think it was in December. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I was uh, unaware of uh, the providence of it as well as uh, what was in it. And it did not play any role whatsoever in the intelligence community assessments that was done that was presented to then President Obama and then President-elect Trump. And I, I might say, with, with respect to the dossier, a very important point to make is we did not use that as a, as a source for our intelligence community assessment. So it was based on, on, on traditional... So they both just said it wasn't used in the intelligence community assessment. It was actually amended, attached to the intelligence community assessment. And we know now that the whole uh, spying effort that these two men engaged in against the Trump campaign that involved wiretaps, the modern version of wiretaps, um, uh, undercover operatives to infiltrate the campaign, uh, attempts at entrapment, dangling incentives in front of campaign operatives, trying to get them to uh, engage in illegal activity. All of that was uh, begun by Brennan and, in, and with Clapper's full knowledge when he organized that task force to meet regularly in Langley to try to sabotage Trump's campaign. Now they're doing it once again. They, they're not inside the agencies, but we can see that they are how willing they are to use their credentials in order to interfere in our elections. They're now showing us that all of those uh, protestations and lies that they came up with about 2016 were pure, purely bogus. And all of these other agents that have signed on just demonstrate uh, how deep the swamp is and how willing they are to uh, abuse their positions and turn the American intelligence community's 
influence on the election. Earlier in the week, we pointed out that uh, DNI uh, John Ratcliffe had come out and said that there is no intelligence whatsoever in all of the 16 intelligence communities indicating that this Hunter Biden laptop is part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Well, now the FBI and the Department of Justice have also weighed in saying that they have no reason to believe and do not believe that this laptop was part of a Russian disinformation campaign. You know, uh, truth has a funny way of uh, winning out. The the uh, media and social media are all uh, colluding, if you will, trying to black out this information, but it's, uh, it's coming out. I started to say slowly, but surely, but, uh, it's coming out in, uh, in a pretty uh, steady stream at this point. And the New York times and the Washington post are totally beclowning themselves. They are basically sitting on what I would believe is the biggest political scandal in this nation's history, reaching white right into the white house and showing abject corruption on the part of the vice president of the United States that is now on the ballot in 2020. And I think this is a a attempt by the FBI to try to, to clear their name, but they've been sitting on this and, and they're, you know, they're uh, being aided and abetted by the New York times and the Washington post and all of the, networks and cable TV uh, stations with the exception of Fox. And Breitbart and, uh, and the alternative media is, uh, is filling this void and scooping <laughs> the New York Times and the Washington Post and the old legacy media. There was a story that ran in, the, uh, in Breitbart yesterday uh, detailing the, uh, the scheme uh, that that Hunter Biden's business associates associates were engaged in by monetizing his influence with his uh, father, the vice president. They include on their um, address lines Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. When it first started, also include Chris Hines, the uh, the stepson of former Secretary of State John Kerry. He, uh, he saw how corrupt this is, and he got the hell away from it. And he did put his father on notice of what was going on. His father took no, no action on it. But you got to read this story in Breitbart. It is, it is damning, to say the least. It shows that uh, Biden's associates were leveraging honey, Hunter Biden's uh associations and his relationships with his father to try to shake down, um, well, right here in this country, uh, union bosses trying to get them to invest their pension funds with Hunter Biden's startup venture capital firm. But it also outlined, uh, this plan to leverage Joe, uh, um, Hunter Biden's relationship to Joe Biden for massive amounts of foreign cash in a section outlining where the investments would come from. 
Biden's associates described capital flowing from China to the USA and former CCP, Communist Party, officials to the USA. This presentation also proposed more cross-border dealings involving China state-owned enterprises and former CCP energy uh, outfits. All of this, there is no such thing as uh, strictly private industry in China. All of it is beholding and answering to the uh, Communist Chinese Party. And, of course, we saw in other Hunter Biden emails that uh, Hunter, Hunter was holding 10% of the proceeds from these huge deals for the big man. Everybody's hoping that Donald Trump keeps referring to Joe Biden as the big man during Thursday's upcoming debate. Breitbart is scooping the New York Times and the Washington Post because they've taken themselves off the field on the biggest political scandal in our our history. Can you imagine having dedicated your professional life to the to journalism and then having to not only ignore the biggest story in your lifetime that will come along but actually having to engage in disinformation to try to discredit it. That has got to be a humiliating and soul-crushing experience. I don't really know how you look yourself in the mirror. Well, we're now learning that uh, Rudy Giuliani is uh, continuing to go through these hard drives and has found uh, evidence on there that Hunter Biden was engaged in inappropriate uh, sexual texts, at the very least, with underage children. And he has brought in Bernard Carrick, former police commissioner for New York City, to advise him on this. And they have both turned this information over to the Delaware State Police. Now, if this information actually contains evidence of sexual wrongdoing with a minor child, the Delaware State Police are not going to be able to turn a blind eye to this. And I have no reason to believe, uh, disbelieve Giuliani when he says it does because he has been right and honest on all of uh, this information so far. Here is Rudy appearing on Newsmax detailing uh, the evidence that he found. Well, this is really a very, very sensitive one. There's a uh, text message to his father in which he says the following, and he's discussing... Um, He's discussing his uh, sister-in-law, who for quite some time was his lover. And he says, uh, she, she told my therapist that I was sexually inappropriate. This would be with a unnamed 14-year-old girl. When she says that I FaceTime naked with the unnamed 14-year-old girl, and the reason I can't have her out to see me is because I'll walk around naked smoking crack, talking Tom girls on FaceTime. When she was pressed, she said that the unnamed 14-year-old girl never said anything like that, but the bottom line is that I created and caused a very unsafe environment for the kids. Uh, This is supported by numerous pictures of underage uh, girls. 
So, uh, Mr. Mayor, I, uh, that is, look, that's dynamite stuff, uh, and I've seen yeah, I it. I turned it over to the... To, Let, to the you turned, turned it, you it turned over, it over to, the, to the Delaware State Police, correct? Yes, yesterday. Bernie Carrick and I turned it over to the Delaware State Police because we're right. very uncomfortable with this. So we're very uncomfortable with the fact that these underage girls were not protected. Well, I don't know how much more explosive that can get, and I don't know how uh, the mainstream media can continue to turn a blind eye to this. Of course, they will. Uh, There has been some cracks showing. Uh, Yesterday, CBS News actually um, sent out a social media post. It wasn't a full-fledged article from one of its reporters asking questions about this. And this morning, the Wall Street Journal editorial board of the Wall Street Journal has published uh, an editorial calling for Joe Biden to answer questions about his his uh, relationship with Hunter Biden and these Chinese influence peddling operations. I mean, that is going to, I mean, it's getting going to get pretty hard for them to ignore uh, when the wall street journal is coming out. I pulled up this article. I was going to excerpt it, but uh, they have now put it behind a paywall. Uh, maybe you can search online and find it. Here is uh, Newt Gingrich appearing on Fox talking about the, the solid wall that the, that the media is trying to put up to protect Joe Biden and how it is going to eventually crumble. Well, look, I, I think that, first of all, I think Biden's going to implode in the next two weeks as people realize the, the depth of personal corruption that the Bidens are engaged in. Uh, we're talking here about hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, it has taken enormous discipline for the Washington Post, the New York Times, NBC News to avoid doing their job. I mean, they have sitting here one of the most amazing corruption stories in history, and every single one of them is walking past it as though it doesn't exist. But the country's going to know about it. Every time the president speaks, he reminds people of it. Uh, you just had Senator Ron Johnson, who's done a great job. His, his report, 87 pages, is available online. Every one of our listeners uh, and viewers can go online and turn, download that report. It, I read it. It is staggering. So I believe Trump, yeah, I think Trump will win. I think he'll win by a surprising margin because I think virtually every late decider is going to look at the stench. And it, it's stench. When, when you realize, you know, Hunter Biden was going around the planet selling the vice president of the United States. He did it in Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Russia, Romania, China. I think uh, his brother was uh, pretty active in Iraq and down in Central America as well. I mean, this is uh, this is the Hunter Biden, I mean, the Joe Biden crime family. And uh, I just want to take you uh, on a walk down memory lane to the Democrat primaries where Anderson Cooper, acting on behalf of... Uh, Jeff Zucker, his boss, was trying to uh, whitewash and launder all of this uh, information from the American people. Press corps knew it and covered it up. Vice President, President Trump has falsely accused your son of doing something wrong while serving on a company board in Ukraine. I want to point out there's no evidence of wrongdoing by either one of you. Interesting. No evidence of wrongdoing, he said. There was towering evidence at the time, and it is becoming undeniable at this point. 
Kellyanne Conway is over in the, the White House press briefing room every day just uh, just putting this information in the journalist's face and, uh, and really uh, making fools of them. But I think what's happening as a result of uh, the, the blackout that the legacy media has tried to put on this and the blackout that social media, has, the censorship that they've tried to impose on their users is having exactly the opposite effect. This effect is affectionately known as the Streisand effect. It, uh, it's named that because uh, Barbara Streisand, uh, I guess it's been about 10 years ago, demanded that Facebook take down photographs of her beachfront mansion because she said that it, it, um, it put her at risk. What it did was expose her as a hypocrite because she was at the time, you know, on the Al Gore bandwagon saying that people need to live frugally and modestly. And then you see this huge, huge picture of Streisand's mansion right there on the Malibu beachfront, (laughs) a beachfront, by the way, that she is trying to block off to public use. It made a fool of her, so she demanded it being take down. That had the effect, just the opposite effect, because people heard about it and they wanted to see it, and it, uh, as a result, it had just huge coverage online, and everybody realized just what a hypocrite Barbara Streisand was. I've got Dave Rubin here, uh, a clip from his coverage of what the Barbara Streisand effect is. So ironically, as big tech and Facebook did some version of this too, where they were warning people about the story, uh, as they tried to censor a story, what did they do? Well, they did the butterfly effect. And the butterfly effect, of course, is when you're, by drawing attention to something, you're then amplifying the, uh, the attention. You're saying, don't look there. It makes everyone look there. So then the story got bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, I don't know about the butterfly effect. I guess, uh, I guess that works too. But it's definitely the Streisand effect. Man, if you look at the Matt Drudge, the Drudge Report, Matt Drudge has, uh, has just collapsed as a reliable source of information. He is... He is uh, totally blacking out anything related to this and is uh, trying to put up, put up disinformation to draw your attention away, disinformation involving uh, allegations against Donald Trump. Of course, you've probably heard that the Department of Justice has filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google now, uh, accusing them of uh, um, monopolistic practices. And um, there's no doubt that they're engaged in that. You know, we often hear that uh, information is the most powerful commodity that anybody can have. And Google, through their search engine and YouTube and and other platforms, has basically uh, got a monopoly on search. And... um, I think about 5% of the market is left over after Google searches are counted. And they have been allowed to grow and reach this point because politicians are scared to death of them. They know that if they cross Google, that Google can one withhold these huge campaign donations that they make to politicians, but two, adjust their algorithm so that uh, these politicians don't get any coverage and what coverage they do get is negative. 
And you have to wonder uh, what this this lawsuit, this antitrust lawsuit, what it will do to American power, because that void is likely to be filled by um, communist China. So Google couldn't restrain itself from engaging in politics, and now they're probably going to get broken up. I hope they get broken up. It'll probably this lawsuit will probably. Uh, run out to 2030. May we live long enough to see uh, Google broken up. It's been learned now that uh, Facebook has a uh, an operation called uh, hate suppression, something like that. And uh, they employ Chinese nationals inside this uh, this operation that's designed to censor Americans on social media. They've got people from countries, China included, that have no history or cultural uh, knowledge of the right to free speech, and they're using those people to censor you and me. We're going to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to hear this Peter Navarro speech, Useful Idiots, given to the Hudson Institute. You're going to want to hear it all right here on Right Now on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Stick with us. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. A daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. So I'm going to devote the second half of this show without commercial interruption to Peter Navarro's useful idiot speech given yesterday to the Hudson Institute. It is uh, by far probably one of the best outlines of the challenges America faces both in its domestic economy and in its foreign policy as it relates to China. It's calling out the useful idiots in our press and entertainment and sports and, uh, and laying out the case of the damage they're doing and calling them to, uh, to get their act together. I have no problem turning over this microphone to people who can say things uh, better than I can, and uh, Peter Navarro certainly does that here. Let me get, begin these remarks then with some perspective on one of the most pivotal turning points in American history. In 2001, the year communist China joined the World Trade Organization, the United States was still the center of the global manufacturing universe. Well, the passage of NAFTA in 1994 had already begun to erode targeted portions of our manufacturing base 
in industries like furniture and textiles and in states like North Carolina and Michigan. Over 17 million blue-collar men and women still worked in America's factories. Manufacturing employment represented nearly 15% of total employment, and the average wage of manufacturing workers was 50% above the national average. What followed after a predatory and mercantilist communist China joined the WTO and proceeded to break all of the WTO's rules was nothing short of blue-collar carnage. Over the next 15 years, America would lose over 70,000 factories and more than 5 million manufacturing jobs. Also lost was the expertise of America's skilled craftsmen in machine toolmaking, electronics, shipbuilding, and other perishable skills critical to our manufacturing supply chain and defense industrial base. By 2016, the last year of the Obama administration, total manufacturing jobs had fallen to 12.3 million while manufacturing jobs as a percentage of total employment had been cut nearly in half to 8.5%. And over that 15-year period, real wages grew by only 3%. Not 3% per year, but 3% over the entire 15-year period. That's the wages of globalist sin. Wage stagnation, plain and simple. With this withering of America's manufacturing base and stagnation of blue-collar wages, families across our manufacturing communities, particularly across a Midwest swath that ran from Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan to Indiana, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, were torn apart. As beautiful neighborhood homes dissolved into abandoned houses in the corrosive acid of globalism, the disintegration of families along with depression and opioid addiction, would take a devastating human toll. All of this blue-collar carnage happened because politicians on both Capitol Hill and in the White House shoehorned communist China into the World Trade Organization. Said Bill Clinton as he campaigned on behalf of communist China in 2000, the WTO agreement would be, quote, the equivalent of a one-way street. (laughs) Bill Clinton was absolutely right about that. He just got the direction wrong. For blue-collar America, China's entry into the WTO was an express lane right from the factory jobs of America to the sweatshops and pollution havens of Beijing and Shanghai and Guangzhou. If there is one thing in 2020 that is crystal clear, it is this. Donald J. Trump's economic nationalism has fundamentally changed America's understanding of the China threat. This Trumpian transformation in American attitudes about communist China is no accident. In fact, it may well be the political version of a Newtonian reaction to decades of communist China having its blue-collar carnage way with the American economy and manufacturing base. As a candidate in 2016, Donald J. Trump promised to stand up for American workers and put an end to China's economic warfare against the United States. Put an end to what I have referred to on numerous occasions as China's seven deadly sins. By now, you may know the list. Cyber hacking to steal our trade secrets, intellectual property theft, forced technology transfer, mercantilist dumping, state-owned enterprise protectionism, currency manipulation, and seven, inundating our communities with enough deadly fentanyl and other opioids to kill 
over 50,000 Americans a year. Here, two things can be true about these seven deadly sins at the same time. First, no president has done more to stand up to communist China than Donald J. Trump. But second, and despite the tough stance of President Trump, communist China has continued its aggression against America unabated and decidedly unabashed. This is what should be so concerning to every American. Despite President Trump's tough actions on China, this authoritarian, mercantilist, and ever-increasingly militarized country seems more emboldened today than it was when our president took office. Just think about what President Trump has done in four short years to fight back against China's aggression to defend American workers. President Trump has imposed tariffs on over $350 billion of Chinese products. In the interest of national security, he has imposed tough fines and sanctions on companies like ZTE and Huawei. He's banned mobile apps like TikTok and WeChat that can surveil and monitor American citizens, steal our data, and proliferate malware through our computer networks. President Trump has also cracked down on China's brutal human rights abuses, from the concentration camps of Xinjiang province to the death of democracy in the streets of Hong Kong. Despite these tough actions, the Chinese Communist Party has continued its economic warfare against America and the world. As Attorney General Bill Barr has said, Communist China's goal is to raid, not trade. Equally disconcerting, the CCP is attempting to use its massive population and increasing military might to subvert and overthrow our rules-based international system. In these efforts, the CCP seeks nothing less than to replace America's arsenal of democracy with the CCP's own arsenal of dictatorship. The biggest victims of the CCP are the Chinese people themselves, forced as they are to live in an Orwellian workers' purgatory. Just think about the concept of a social credit score that shows how loyal a Chinese citizen is to the state. This Kafka-esque tool of repression is so repugnant that many Americans have a hard time believing that the CCP has even instituted such a credit card. Yet speak ill of a Communist Party leader and your social credit score goes down. Do it again and you'll lose your job. Do it again, (laughs) it's off you go to a Chinese re-education camp. That's a marvelous euphemism, isn't it? Re-education camp. What exactly do you learn in these camps? How to use cattle prods on humans? How human beings can withstand the worst forms of torture and still somehow survive with dignity? This was not how it was supposed to be. Politicians from Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger to the George Bushes, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama told us that if only we would economically engage communist China would become more peaceful and democratic. But what good does it do to engage economically if the result is simply a massive transfer of American capital and wealth to communist China? American capital and wealth, by the way, which is then used to finance a rapid military buildup aimed at driving America out of Asia. If we have learned anything from the concentration camps in Xinjiang, the crushing of democracy in Hong Kong, the cultural genocide in Tibet, 
the organ harvesting from live Falun Gong prisoners, the infanticide spawned by China's one-child policy, and the brutal suppression of Christianity, it is this. America and the rest of the world must never, ever fall under the thumb, boot, or influence of the Chinese Communist Party. And that is why it is so critical to stand up to the CCP. Here, I must be very clear now about one critical point. Standing up to communist China does not mean going to war. This is the very last thing the Trump administration wants. All President Trump has ever sought is prosperity for the American people and peace in this beautiful but often far too violent world. Nearly four years after he assumed the office of the presidency, the world is a much safer place. President Trump is bringing home our troops from the Middle East and Afghanistan. He has increased calm and stability on the Korean Peninsula. Our European allies are paying a much fairer share of the cost of NATO. And the result is a much stronger alliance against Russia. And President Trump has brokered the first peace agreements with Israel in the Middle East in more than 25 years, along with an historic pact between Kosovo and Serbia. Achievements for which he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Just as we do not want kinetic war with China, China most surely does not want a military conflict with America. As the Chinese military strategist Sun Tzu once noted long ago, to win 100 victories in 100 battles is not the acme of skill. To subdue the enemy without fighting is the acme of skill. This is the goal of the CCP, to take the riches of America without firing a shot. And do so not just through its economic warfare and seven deadly sins, but also through its ultra-modern information warfare and attacks on our political system and a supremely cynical kind of lawfare that seeks to leverage institutions like the United Nations to promote communist China's quest for global domination. On the information warfare front, Chinese Communist Party agents regularly prowl and troll our social media. Their near-term goal is to help defeat Donald J. Trump. Their broader strategic goal is to convince the world that communist China's authoritarian political and social systems and command and control economy are far superior to an American exceptionalism built upon free markets, free persons, democratic elections, the rule of law, and an independent judiciary. Regrettably, far too many of the American media, with their blatant hyper-partisanship, are helping to advance this corrosive and toxic CCP narrative. In doing so, far too many American journalists today are merely serving as what Vladimir Lenin and Joseph Stalin viewed as useful idiots for the CCP. Deng Xiaoping, China's paramount leader during the 1970s, once said, seek truth from facts. Yet both truth and facts are in short supply these days in both the Chinese and American media. Here it is taken as a given that the Chinese press and government publications like the People's Daily and Global Times are simply propaganda organs for the CCP. Yet, increasingly, and this truly is our national disgrace, 
It is likewise taken as a given that our own American media are propagandists as well. In 1972, a Gallup poll found that two-thirds of Americans trusted the news media. Today, that number is down to 41%, with only 15% of Republicans and 36% of independents trusting the media. Astonishingly, nearly a third of the American people have no trust whatsoever in the media. How can a free and democratic political system possibly survive if the media we rely upon to bring us the truth and facts are hopelessly divided along partisan lines and simply dedicated to partisan factoids and spin. If the media were equally divided along partisan lines, that would be one set of facts. But clearly, this is not the case. A Pew poll found that in the first 60 days of the Trump administration, fully two-thirds of the news stories were negative. That was more than twice the negativity seen in stories from the first 60 days of the presidencies of Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. The mainstream media has only gone further downhill since. One study in 2018 showed that 92% of the evening news coverage of the Trump administration was negative. 92%. Every morning that CNN starts its new day parroting the Democrat talking points, or MSNBC starts with its incessant and bilist Trump bashing, communist China wins and American democracy loses. What is the difference between China's global times attacking the Trump administration and endorsing Joe Biden for president and outlets like CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times and the Amazon Post effectively doing the same thing? This devolution of America's fourth estate into partisan hacks and Democrat super PACs is not just an existential threat to our eternal American quest towards a more perfect union. The rise of a partisan fake news conglomerate, and this is what the mainstream media misses, also provides aid, comfort, and assistance to a Chinese Communist Party intent on setting the American sun in Asia. The New York Times, the Amazon Post, CNN, MSNBC, even outlets once beyond reproach, like 60 Minutes, PBS, and Frontline, have devolved into nothing more than attack dogs for the Democratic Party and useful idiots for the Chinese Communist Party. The American media are not, however, the only useful idiots promoting communist China's agenda. Take the National Basketball Association and its hypocritical virtue signaling. Its star players and coaches are as quick to take a knee during the national anthem and denounce this country as racist as they are to get lockjaw as soon as the thorny subjects of communist China's horrific human rights abuses and brutal takedown of Hong Kong's democracy are raised. We've seen these cowards shut up and dribble in China even as they insist on selling jerseys and sneakers made in Chinese sweatshops back to America's children. When our professional athletes refuse to stand and pledge allegiance to our flag and honor those in a different kind of uniform who have lost their lives in defense of America's freedom, communist China wins and American democracy loses. A recent Harris poll shows that the American people have seen right through the hypocrisy in Lakerland and Kerrville. Nearly 40% of sports fans say the NBA 
has become too political. Ratings have plummeted. And fully 20% of fans say the NBA's blind eye to communist China is a reason. Many of the moguls who run Hollywood studios, along with far too many Hollywood stars, are likewise useful idiots for the Chinese Communist Party. When Hollywood moguls release yet another movie that quite literally airbrushes the abuses of the CCP, authoritarian China once again wins and self-censored American democracy loses. On this troubling issue of self-censorship, the Chinese Communist Party is clearly not holding a gun to the head of LeBron James or the chairman of Disney, demanding that they stay silent on the CCP's horrific abuses. Instead, these craven, useful idiots simply know that unless they keep their mouths shut and turn heroes like Daryl Morey into unemployed pariahs, they will lose out on the profits that otherwise might be made in the world's largest Orwellian prison. And these useful idiots of the NBA and Hollywood are not alone in their cowardly self-censorship. American reporters in Beijing regularly pull their punches, covering China's house of human rights horrors for fear of losing their visas. Silicon Valley investors and Wall Street hedge fund managers zip their lips to keep the spigot open for a flood of Chinese cash. And our nation's colleges and universities are so addicted to the tuition money and research grants that pour in from Chinese students and destructive spy programs like Thousand Talents and Confucius Institutes that they turn two blind eyes to the espionage that regularly occurs on their campuses. While the mainstream media, Hollywood moguls, financial elites, and America's NBA are playing useful idiots all too well in a four corners defense of globalism and the Democrat Party, the most dangerous useful idiots for the Chinese Communist Party may well be the anarchists, agitators, and looters now regularly crossing state lines to invade our Democrat-run and run-into-the-ground cities. The phrase organized anarchist may seem like an oxymoron, but that is exactly what we are witnessing in the radical left's America. When Antifa and BLM stormtroopers swarm with military precision into Portland or Chicago or Kenosha, dressed in body armor and armed with brass knuckles, frozen water bottles and mace, ready to loot and burn. They not only destroy businesses and livelihoods, they are destroying everything that is sacred about the tradition of American peaceful protest. Communist China, authoritarianism wins. American democracy once again loses. When angry cancel culture mobs tear down or vandalize statues of great Americans like Thomas Jefferson, Ulysses S. Grant, Francis Scott Key, and Frederick Douglass, American history loses, and a Chinese communist-style cultural revolution wins. When boorish thugs go up to peaceful citizens trying to enjoy a meal and shout at them and threaten them and take their food and drink their water, they are tearing at the very fabric of our society and democracy. American civility loses, and communist Chinese thought control wins. Do these thieves, vandals, and radical miscreants not understand or even care that during this pandemic, the whole world is not just watching. Citizens around the world are weighing and measuring the effectiveness 
of our American democracy. And the Chinese Communist Party is doing everything it can to compare the apparent chaos in America to the illusion of stability in Beijing and Shanghai and even now in Hong Kong. That those Democrats who control the government of Washington, D.C. are considering renaming or tearing down the Washington Monument and Jefferson Memorial underscores just how useless these idiots are to our own country. Here again, American democracy loses and communist China wins. Here's what we should fear. With so much of the fabric of America's economy, educational system, financial institutions, sports and entertainment world, journalism, political system under siege from what is a systematic effort by the Chinese Communist Party to advance its own authoritarian narrative, we may soon reach a tipping point here in America. At such a point, it may well be that those who finally deliver the coup de grace to American democracy, economic prosperity, and national uh, sovereignty may well come not from outside our borders, but from those useful idiots right here in America who choose to put profits, partisanship, and radical ideology before God, country, and freedom. Beyond communist China's economic aggression and information warfare, there is also communist China's systematic attack against our rules-based international order. The hallmark of the CCP's so-called lawfare is to break international rules when it suits its strategic objectives and use or bend those rules when it is in the CCP's interest. We know firsthand just how far things can go wrong, for example, when communist China is able to exert control over a UN agency. It was the UN's World Health Organization and China's puppet, Director General Tedros, that helped the CCP hide the dangers of a novel and lethal coronavirus from the world for more than two devastating months, time enough for a deadly CCP pandemic to take hold and shake the world. Here it cannot be said too often that the CCP and the WHO lied and people around the world have died. And no American should ever forget the following history. On January 15, 2020, President Trump welcomed a delegation of high-ranking trade officials from China to sign a phase one trade deal. This historic event appeared to be a great leap forward in the U.S.-China trade relations. However, we now know that at the time, the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, as well as other high-ranking Chinese Communist Party officials, were all well aware that a deadly virus was ravaging China and had the clear potential to cause a global pandemic through human-to-human transmission. Despite the obvious and immediate dangers this virus posed to America and the world, none of this potentially life-saving information was transmitted to President Trump or anyone at the White House. Instead, these Chinese Communist Party officials simply smiled at us, ate our food, shook our hands, and signed the phase one trade deal. In their silence, Xi Jinping and the CCP put President Trump, Vice President Pence, and numerous White House senior staff and administration officials all in grave danger. Since that time, we've learned many things about the deadly CCP virus. We know that it originated in Wuhan, China sometime in November. We know that during December and January, the CCP hid the virus and its potential for human-to-human transmission from the world 
with the help of the World Health Organization. We know that as the CCP hid the virus, China vacuumed up much of the world's supplies of personal protective equipment. We know communist China's hoarding was tantamount to criminal manslaughter because this hoarding denied desperately needed PPE to healthcare workers at the front lines of the pandemic in cities from Milan to New York. Most egregious, we know that even as all of China was being locked down to domestic travel, the CCP was freely permitting tens of thousands of Chinese nationals potentially infected with the virus to fly to major cities around the world, thereby virtually guaranteeing a global pandemic. Of course, President Trump courageously put a stop to such travel to the United States on January 31st. And he would then be called a xenophobe for making a decision that likely saved hundreds of thousands and perhaps millions of American lives. We also know that as we race at warp speed to manufacture a vaccine, Chinese cyber hackers are scurrilously trying to steal our scientific research. We know, too, that as the CCP's virus ravages the globe, communist China is trying to use the pandemic to advance both its authoritarian political model and its strategic and geopolitical objectives. Under cover of a plague that would force peaceful protesters into their homes, communist China has crushed democracy in the empty streets of Hong Kong. Just as it did during the chaos and distraction of the Cuban Missile Crisis, communist China once again invaded India in a bald attempt to annex more territory. And the CCP is even trying to horse trade with the Philippines priority access to a vaccine in exchange for not interfering with China's militarization of the South China Sea. These CCP actions are not only aberrant behavior in the international order, they are abhorrent. In closing, let me say that there are two things we know to be certain. First, the American people want to know where the CCP virus originated from. The CCP must stop hiding this information from the free world. Second, the American people want communist China to be held fully accountable for the trillions of dollars in costs and tragic loss of human life its deadly CCP virus has inflicted upon America. And that bill must one day come due. And simply say that the problem here is not about knowing what to do. Rather, it is having the national will and unity to do what we know must be done. In the spirit of such unity, I call on all Americans, and particularly all of America's now useful idiots for the Chinese Communist Party, to rise to the most important occasion of our time. We as a nation have the fight of our lives on our hands, and we cannot keep fighting amongst each other if we are to prevail. America faced a choice between appeasing communist China, as the globalist elites would have us do, or holding China and the CCP accountable for its actions, as economic nationalism demands. Thank you today for listening and watching. I've been working at Santa's workshop for a long time and thought I'd seen it all. That was until I learned that when you add Xfinity Mobile to Xfinity Internet, you can save hundreds on your wireless bill. When you add Xfinity Mobile to Xfinity Internet, you can get a powerful Internet experience and nationwide coverage on the most reliable network. Choose the data option that's right for you. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. 
Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Based on root metrics by IHS Markets Root Score reports 2H 2020 of four mobile networks. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive-thru or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com.